0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. I'm Jeff Smelser here in Pennsylvania, where it's starting to feel a little bit like spring. And with me is Joe Works, who is up in Elmira, New uh, Yeah, Elmira, New York. Probably not feeling like spring yet up there, huh? Uh,
1: the last couple of days were. Today has turned a little bit colder, but uh, it's certainly better than the uh, zero and uh, low teens.
0: Yeah, Drew, how about you? You see any springing uh, flowers? Springing up or trees blooming yet?
2: Mm, not yet. I moved a little bit further west. I'm no longer in Holmesdale and Dunmore, which is right next to Scranton. But it's still like Holmesdale as far as the temperature.
0: Yeah, yeah. My uh, my son-in-law tells me that in Philadelphia, which is just down the road, that red buds are blooming all over the place. But where I am, there's nothing blooming yet. Um, or maybe it is, and I'm just not seeing it. All right, we're going to talk about Elijah and John the Baptist today. Um, and this is an interesting uh, study. There are some interesting things to observe. A principle can be established here, but let's um, let's start. I've got a PowerPoint here I'm going to use here. Let's see if I got it running, and it's there, and so let me start it. Uh, let's go there and there, and then let me see if I can share that screen. And If you'd like to join us uh, in the conversation, if you want to send your comments, you can send them by means of the Facebook app. Uh, we'll try to keep an eye on that. Chase is not with us today. Chase normally keeps an eye on that. Um, maybe one of the three of us can manage to take a peek at Facebook from time to time, see if we get comments. If you're using the Zoom app, you can use the Q&A tab and send us comments or questions. But let's uh, let a timeline up here. So here's a timeline of the Bible. And uh, Elijah lives back here, and he's prophesying in, in Israel. Um, and at this time... Uh, that we're going to be talking about, well, well, especially during the time of Ahab, king of Israel. Um, and what are we talking about, guys? Here we're talking about what 850 years, give or take, before Jesus, something like that. I didn't go back and look it up. Is that about right?
1: Yeah, yeah, we're we're about smack in the middle. I mean, not exactly in the middle, but we're in the middle of the divided kingdom. So that'd be about right.
0: Okay. And uh, then after the. Captivity after the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom have been carried away into captivity, and there's been a return. Malachi prophesies, and so we're down to something a little over four, uh, a little over well, four hundred and some odd years before Christ. And Malachi uh, says something interesting. Let's turn over to the book of Malachi, and uh, I'll get. I guess let's get the last two verses of the last chapter. When do you guys have that, Malachi?
1: Chapter 4, the last two verses.
0: Yeah, um, yeah.
1: Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse.
0: All right. So um, what we're looking at here is Malachi talking about a future coming of Elijah Uh, when Elijah lived some 400 years before Malachi. So how do we have a future coming of Elijah? And something else let's notice while we're here in Malachi chapter four, what is this Elijah who's going to come in the future? According to verse six, what is he gonna do? Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to their fathers. Yeah, okay. So, So what we wanna do is take a look at, uh, this is Elijah who's supposed to come. And of course, what we're going to see is it's John the Baptist in, uh, in the New Testament. John the Baptist is the Elijah that was prophesied by Malachi. And so why does Malachi call him Elijah? And it turns out there are a number of similarities between the two. And that's what we'd like to talk about. Let's, um, while we're in Malachi, let's notice Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. And it says there, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, So this passage talks about a messenger who's going to prepare the way for the Lord who's going to suddenly come into his temple. I guess I have a question for you guys. At the end of verse 1, when it says, the messenger of the covenant, I've always taken that to be the the Messiah himself, not the messenger of the Messiah. In other words, I've always taken these two words, messenger, in verse 1, to be two different messengers. Do you take it that way, or do you see both of those as referring to the messenger who prepares the way?
1: Uh, no, I, I I would agree with your, your statement. I think that the second messenger, the messenger of the covenant, is the, the Lord bringing this uh, new
0: covenant that is found in his blood. So um, so this one who's going to prepare the way, of course, that's when we see that kind of idea, it's easy to think of John the Baptist. And Jesus just tells us it's John the Baptist in a couple of passages. I've got Matthew chapter 11 on screen. Uh, Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 11. This is when John has been imprisoned by Herod, and he is going to be beheaded at the instigation of Herodias, Herod's wife, because John has been speaking out against their marriage. Um, In Matthew the 11th chapter, John sends from prison messengers to Jesus asking, Are you the Christ? Or look we for another? Which is interesting because he's kind of spent himself saying that Jesus is the Christ and calling on people to repent and saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand and that kind of thing. Um, any, any thoughts before we go on as to why John at this point in his life is sending messengers saying, ask Jesus, are you the Christ or look we for another?
2: I don't know well, about that, but I, I had my microphone muted before, but I, back to your question about the messenger of the covenant, I was under yeah. the impression that that is John the Baptist. He's the messenger of the current covenant, the old covenant, because it says, "In whom you delight, behold, he is coming." And that's what John is saying: he is coming. I could be wrong on that, but
0: okay. So you take the "In whom you delight, behold, he is coming" as a quotation spoken by the messenger of the covenant,
2: the old covenant, meaning Uh John. I'm sorry, meaning Elijah or uh, John. John, I'm sorry, meaning John is that? I could be wrong on that, but I don't know.
0: Of course, if he's, it almost makes sense. If I'm going to make that second messenger in Malachi three one, John the Baptist, it almost makes sense to make it a reference not to the old covenant but to the new covenant. Unless you're saying he was a messenger who prophesied under the old covenant. Yeah, that's that's what I'm
2: saying, under the old covenant. Yeah.
0: Well, in, in any case, it's very clear in Malachi the third chapter verse one that the first reference to the messenger is the one who's going to prepare the way for the coming Christ. And then, then you get to Matthew chapter 11 and where John is in prison and he sent messengers to Jesus. Are you the, are you the Christ who look with for another? And Jesus sends them back to John saying, tell John uh, the things you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. This is verse 5 of Matthew 11. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good tidings preached to them. And that's language similar to a prophetic statement in Isaiah. I'm thinking Isaiah 36, or is it 35? 30, 35, I believe it is. 35. And in Isaiah 35, if, if, if you want to check that reference for us and get it exactly there. Yep. 35, um, verses
1: five, uh, 5 through 7.
0: Okay. You want to read those real quick?
1: Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. March to ground she shall become a pool, Thirsty land, springs of water, habitation of jackals where each lay, there should be grass with reeds and, and
0: rushes. And in the context of Isaiah, I would take that language to, to have a spiritual meaning much more than a, a physical meaning. In other words, it's not so much talking about physical blindness as spiritual blindness and um, spiritual deafness. And I would go back to Matthew the, I mean to Isaiah the sixth chapter uh, for that. but without belaboring that point, Jesus has indeed physically been giving restoration of sight to people who are blind and, and hearing to people who are deaf here in the preceding chapters in the book of, of Matthew, and the lame walking, and uh, these things are but a, a, a demonstration of his power that if he can give physical sight, he can give spiritual sight. If he can give physical healing, he can give spiritual healing. And so these are the signs that point to him being the Christ. Then Jesus turns his attention with to, uh, yeah, Drew, what were we going to say? No, I'm going to say anything. All right. So Jesus then turns his attention to uh, the people standing by, and, and he kind of challenges them. What do you think, John, is somebody weak? Do you think he was a reed shaken with the wind? Uh, somebody like people sitting in fine houses wearing soft raiment? And he says no. And in essence, I think Jesus is saying he's he's a he's a solid guy. He's a guy who was strong of character. And uh, in this context, he says in Matthew the eleventh chapter, in verse fourteen, "If you are willing to receive it, this is Elijah uh, that is to come." Um, and similarly, in Matthew the seventeenth chapter, after Elijah had appeared with Moses in the transfiguration, speaking with Jesus. Jesus started talking about the Elijah who was to come and said, it's, it's John, John the Baptist. So what we want to do is talk about these connections. Why is it Malachi said Elijah, if he's talking about John the Baptist? And why is it Jesus says John is Elijah? In what sense is he Elijah? There's one other thing that I want to do before we turn to these parallels, though. This idea of preparing the way, do you guys have any thought about that, what it means to prepare the way, what the illusion is there?
1: <laughs> well, I think maybe one connection, uh, thinking about somebody preparing the way for a coming king, um, is, that seems to be the idea to me. Uh, he's, he's hearkening, um, preparing the way uh, for the the king going on in Isaiah 40. Uh, that, that quote, uh, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, um, in verse, uh, four, uh, well, continue on in verse three, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill made low, crooked places made straight, rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For The mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so uh, the idea seems to be that he's spiritually preparing this way for the people to see Jesus, uh, the the glory of the Lord to be seen. And as well, that I think, so that's in Isaiah 40. We already referenced Isaiah 35 and read verses five through seven. The very next verse even says a highway, a highway shall be there and a road and it shall be called the highway of holiness. And so it seems as if, all of this is is pointing to john is going to be preparing this road jesus is going to be traveling it manifesting the glory of yahweh and when p and, and when they see that that glory that should turn them to to holiness uh hope i'm not reading too much into those passages
0: no, i think i think that's exactly right i could do a little more with it too but drew you were trying to say something there
1: Yeah, because
2: as as Joe, you're reading that, that's the spiritual connection. But it makes sense if you understand the physical. And from ancient times, from what I understand, that I read a while ago, is that when a king would go into an area, they would literally smooth out the road, make it more comfortable for the king to make his approach to that city or town.
0: Yeah, in fact, I'm trying to find it here. I didn't think about it ahead of time. But in Josephus, he gives a, a very... Uh, descriptive account of how the Roman army would move through a territory and you've got the, the Roman conquering emperor or the king coming behind his army. But out in front, there are these engineers who are leveling the terrain. They're filling in the valleys. Uh, they are cutting off the tops of the hills. They're in the way they're clearing trees. Kind of like when we put an interstate highway through and uh, they don't just follow the terrain. They, cut off the hilltops and they fill in uh, dips in the ravines and such and and prepare the way. Well, that's what John's work was to do, much like these engineers would prepare the way for the, as you said, Joe, a king, or I think you said the same thing, Drew. Here's the coming Christ, the coming king, and and John is preparing the way.
1: I I almost picture this like, you know, when a president or a dignitary is coming through a town, there will be a police escort out in front. It's closing off roads, uh, alerting the people of what's getting ready to happen. You hear the sirens going and, and that sort of thing. And, and that's what John is trying to do. He's, he's, a, he's this voice crying out in the wilderness. He's this siren that's saying this dignitary uh, is, is, is on his way.
0: Exactly. And I'm not going to find that reference in Josephus right now. But with that now. Uh, and, and it's good that we brought up Isaiah chapter forty because Isaiah chapter forty and verse three talk about clearing the way. Sounds a lot like what other passage that we read. Uh, it, Malachi, Malachi, Malachi three one, yeah, yeah. So we've got these two passages talking about somebody who's going to clear the way or prepare the way. And uh, now, now let's take a look at some things that are parallel between Elijah and John the Baptist. Okay. If I, be, be,
1: before we do that, uh, go ahead, Drew.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask a question. I don't know if you're, gonna, if you're getting into it,
2: but why would the Messiah need that?
0: I'm not so much sure it's the Messiah who needs it as the people uh, uh, need it.
2: Yeah, good point. Okay.
0: In the case, in the case of a, a conquering Roman king, he, he, his army needs that way cleared for his army to come. But in the case of Jesus, you know, Jesus says in John 10, he talks about the um, shepherd, uh, the true shepherd comes to the door of the, of the corral there, or the pen or the sheepfold, and the porter opens the door to him and he calls his sheep. But the one who comes and goes over the wall or comes by some other way and tries to get at the sheep, that's not the true shepherd. Jesus came with all of the credentials of the Messiah um, he came the the way the legitimate way with with the uh, Old Testament uh, law pointing to him with the prophecies pointing to him with John the Baptist pointing to him, that sort of thing is what comes to my mind so well, it 's not so
2: much then that he 's preparing it for the messiah he 's preparing it for us the people to recognize
1: the messiah 's coming maybe. Yeah, in fact, maybe uh, that quote from Malachi 3 about turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children of the fathers, that's, that's quoted over in Luke first chapter at the time of the announcement of John the Baptist coming, uh, the, the uh, announcement that's made by the angel to Zacharias. And and the way that he quotes that, he says in Luke one seventeen, he will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So having that, that quotation, but actually it's not a a direct quotation. It's an, it's an application of it. Uh, So it's not so much about like making parents and children get along, but the, the sense of the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and then, as you said, making ready the people for the Lord.
0: And, and I think that points to a similarity in mission between John and Elijah. When he says, go forth in the spirit and power of Elijah <clears throat> and turn the hearts of the children to the fathers, uh, alluding to the language of Malachi. We can go back in First Kings, the 18th chapter in verse 37 and hear Elijah's prayer. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that Thou, O Lord, art God, and that Thou hast turned their heart back again. And so you kind of see, I think, a, a parallel in, in the mission there. Absolutely. And then, and then we get to just a physical similarity, and there's the appearance. So let's go to Second Kings, the first chapter. Uh, Elijah prophesies during the time of Ahab, but Ahab dies, and his son Ahaziah becomes king in his place. And Ahaziah, in the first chapter of, first, of Second Kings, falls and is injured, and he's wondering whether, whether he's going to live or die. And so he sends messengers, but he doesn't send the messengers to Yahweh or to a prophet of Yahweh. Who does he send messengers to to inquire whether he's going to live or die? Uh, to
1: Zeb, uh, zebub the god of Ekron, right? Yeah. Be-
0: and, and the, the New American Standard actually says Baal-zebub or Baal-zebub in um, the god of Ekron. Yeah. And so they, they're they on the way to go to this pagan deity. Uh, it tells you something about Ahaziah and Ahab. And uh, they meet Elijah. And Elijah says, is it because there's no god in Israel that you're going to inquire Baal-zebub, the god of... Ekron, in fact, he tells them to go back and ask that of the king. How would you like to be a messenger who's been sent (laughs) by the king to some pagan deity? And you have to turn around and go back to the king and say, well, is it because there's no God in Israel that you are sending us to this pagan deity?
1: (laughs) Wow. Elijah has certainly developed quite the reputation by this point, hasn't he?
0: He has because he doesn't even tell them who he is. But he sends them back with the message that Ahaziah is going to die. And so when they go back and give that message to Ahaziah, Ahaziah says, well, what sort of man was he? What did he look like? This is in verse uh, 7. He said to them, what kind of man was he who came up to meet you and spoke these words to you? And they just gave a description. And the description they said was, he was a hairy man with a leather girdle uh, bound about his loins. And what was Ahaziah's response? It's Elijah the Tishbite. What does that tell you about that appearance? Very distinct. Very distinct. Sure. If I if I said, "Hey, uh, Joe, I ran into somebody we both know," and you said, "Who?" and I said, "Well, I can't think of his name, but he was uh, he had two eyes and a nose <laughs> and a mouth." You'd say, "Oh, Drew DeGrotto." <laughs> <laughs> no, you know that's kind of a, that's too generic. Yeah, you need something more unique for for it to bring to mind. But when he said, a hairy man with a leather girdle about his loins, uh, as I knew. That's Elijah the Tishbite. So that look was unique. And, of course, then we come to the New Testament. And what do we see the look is of John the Baptist? Hairy man. man. Wears a coat of camel's hair. So that makes him hairy. And he wears a leather girdle. Right. Um. There's also some indication that this look that Elijah had was imitated by others who wanted to pass themselves off as prophets in later years, isn't there?
1: Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, Zechariah 13, I, maybe you're thinking of? Yeah. Sounds, Sounds like
2: a fashion, fashion trend, trend to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's,
1: uh, all, all, all the preachers are wearing this nowadays. <laughs>
0: So Zechariah 13 is a Messianic passage. It's talking about the day in which the fountain will be opened for the house of David, for the the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for impurity. And it talks about a cleansing and a cutting off of the names of the idols from the land. And here the land represents the spiritual habitation of God's people. It essentially represents the church. And the names of the idols are going to be cut off, the prophets. And in the context, it's talking about false prophets. And the unclean spirit is going to be uh, eliminated from the promised land, the, the spiritual, the messianic land. And it goes on and it talks about these guys who are false prophets. And he says in verse 3, and it shall come about that if anyone still prophesies, then his father and mother who gave birth to him will say to him, You shall not live, for you have spoken falsely in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who gave birth to him will pierce him through when he prophesies also it will come about in that day that the prophets will each be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies and they'll put on a hairy and they will not put on a hairy robe in order to deceive. It seems that that's what they would have been doing for some time. They would have tried to pass themselves off as true prophets by putting on a hairy robe, imitating the look of Elijah. Is that what you get out of that? Absolutely. Uh, And so when
1: John then does come along wearing that, uh, you see the prophets are going to be ashamed to do that. John's not ashamed. He, he right. is representative of the Lord. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Then, so, then we, we, uh, we also mentioned the mission similarity, turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And I think it's just really an expression that indicates when there's one generation that has gone astray compared to another generation, they need to be returned to the standard the previous generation set, something like that. Yeah, good. Sorry, I got ahead of your slide there a minute ago. No, that's all right. That's <laughs> not uh, a so problem.
1: I don't know if you can read it or not, but we have a question or a comment uh, on Facebook. I can't read it all, so I apologize, but uh, there's a, a question
0: on there about uh, John 1. Yeah, I got it. I'll read it. So okay. you may be planning to address this. I don't know, but it says in John one twenty one, when they ask if he is Elijah, why does he say no? when Jesus said that prophecy was fulfilled in him, was there a literal coming of Elijah they were expecting or something that John was addressing? It's always confused me why John replied, no, yeah, I was planning to get to that. And uh, let's go ahead and, well, let's, let's get to that in about five minutes. Okay, let's get to that in about five minutes. But Let's see one more similarity here between Elijah and John. Uh, thank you for the question, and that's one thing we want to talk about. But the times in which they prophesied. So tell tell us about Ahab and Jezebel and Elijah.
1: Well, if you've ever wondered if uh, the political climate in America is the worst that it's ever been, you need to go back and read First Kings 16 and 17 and 18 and 19. Um, Ahab was, was one of the worst kings in all of of Israel. And that's really saying something.
2: Some
1: yeah. um, you know, of them were good. Uh, Ahab would be absolutely one of the worst. And uh, uh, he joined forces with, with Jezebel. Um, you know, and, and pretty much that's all you have to do is say the name Jezebel, and you get a pretty uh, vivid image of, a, of, of an evil woman. Uh, Jezebel was the uh, daughter of Ethbael, king of the Sidonians. Um, their names even giving honor to Baal. So you have this Baal worship being introduced to Israel during their time. Um and and just great opposition to God's people, um massacring prophets.
0: Uh Ahab and Jezebel did. Yep. In 1 Kings 18:4 it mentions Jezebel destroying the prophets of the Lord. Um in in chapter 18 there's the competition when uh they they have the two altars and and the prophets of Baal are supposed to call down fire from Baal. And of course there's no Baal, And so there's no fire on their sacrifice, but then Elijah calls down fire from the true God. And and there is a true God and there is fire. And so that's impressive. So he destroys the prophets of Baal, but then Jezebel is rather than being grateful for seeing the truth, she's mad and she wants to kill Elijah. And so in chapter 19, uh, verse two, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and e- even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. In other words, if you're not dead like my prophets are now dead, then, then uh, may the Lord kill me. It's kind of an oath saying, I'm going to get you.
1: Yeah, and, and, and perhaps even in an accidental prophecy. Uh, so. Yes,
0: yes. It's interesting. I had not thought about that. So then we get to John the Baptist, and he's prophesying when Herod is king, who has a wife named Herodias, and um, it's in Mark the sixth chapter, where uh, we're told the story of how John had indicted them for for having a marriage that was not right before God. It was not lawful for Herod to have his brother's wife as a wife, Herodias. And uh, Herodias didn't much care for that, and so what happened?
1: Herodias sets
0: up a plan to have John killed, right? Have him beheaded. Yeah. And, and, and he, and she does, she has him beheaded and uh, without going into all the details, you see the parallels between these two. So then that brings us to the question uh, that we were asked. We see all these parallels. Okay. We see that in Malachi, when it says, I will send Elijah talking about the future, even though Elijah the prophet was 400 years earlier. Uh, that's talking about John the Baptist. He's using Elijah to represent John the Baptist. In a minute, we'll come back and talk about why that happens in the Old Testament. We'll talk about the fact that it does happen not only with Elijah and John, but with David and the Christ and others. But if, if in fact, Elijah that was to come was John the Baptist, then what's going on in John chapter 1? And let's turn over there, John chapter 1. So remind us, what became of Elijah in the Old Testament? Did did Jezebel kill him? Uh, She was not successful in killing him. Did anybody kill him? No. Did he die of natural causes then? In in fact,
1: uh, it's very interesting. Um, He did not die. Uh, One of two uh, men in the Old Testament uh, recorded for us who... Did not die.
0: He did not die. He was just taken up to heaven. So if you were a Jew and 400 years after Elijah did not die, uh, there's a prophet that says Elijah's going to come. You might tend to think that meant. He's coming back physically. The literal Elijah. Uh, because after all, Elijah never died. And it's interesting. And I don't know. I don't know when this tradition got started, um, but at Passover, Jews today and for centuries have had this tradition. They set out these cups of wine and they set out one extra cup, if I understand the tradition correctly, one extra cup, and that's for Elijah in case he comes knocking on the door because they think he might come at the Passover. And uh, so they're still expecting Elijah to come. So I don't know if that particular tradition was in place in the first century, but when we look at John chapter 1, and we've got John the Baptist out in the wilderness, in verse 19 says, the Jews sent unto him from Jerusalem priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? And verse 20 says, he confessed and denied not. He confessed, I am not the Christ, which says to me, they came asking, you're not the Christ, are you? And he confessed, I'm not the Christ. He did not deny that he was not the Christ. And that's the kind of question we see often in the Gospels. This can't be the Christ, can it? So it's almost like, eh, you're not the Christ, are you? No, I'm not. Okay, all right, then we've got some other questions. Are you, verse 21, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. And then they said, well, are you the prophet? And he said, no. And then they said, Well, who are you? In verse 22, that we may give an answer to them that sent us. What do you say of yourself? And John answers with a quote. What does he answer? The voice one crying in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord. Which is a quotation from Isaiah, the 40th chapter, in verse 3, which which is very similar to Malachi, chapter 3, in verse 1. And as a matter of fact, Mark puts those two together. If we go to Mark chapter 1 and verses uh, 2 and 3, even as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before thy face who shall prepare thy way. And that's actually from Malachi. And then verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ye ready the way of the Lord. And that's from Isaiah. So these two passages in Malachi and Isaiah that talk about somebody who's going to come clear the way or prepare the way, Mark puts those together and talks about them in connection with John the Baptist. So Mark knew those passages were talking about the same thing. Elijah, is a, I mean John the Baptist is a prophet of God. I can't help but believe he knew those passages were talking about the same thing, and therefore that he knew he was the Elijah that was in view in Malachi, the fourth chapter. So why would he say, when they said, are you Elijah, why would he say no?
2: Well, could he be saying, well, I'm not the physical Elijah, but I am the spiritual? I think that's what
0: they were asking. Yeah, I think he's answering the question they are asking. Mm -hmm. I think they are asking, are you literally Elijah? Because that's what they were expecting, because they didn't understand Malachi chapter Mm 4. And so when they ask, are you Elijah? He could have said, oh, let me explain to you, Malachi, let me tell you what that's all about. But rather than go down that path, he just quotes from Isaiah and says, I'm this guy. And, and that way he kind of sidesteps the whole issue about was Malachi talking about a, a literal return of the literal Elijah or not. Uh, I think yeah. that's what's going on there. All right, before we go on, let me ask if there's anything we need to go back to. And then what let's go on to is just to talk about this concept of the Old Testament, talking about New Testament things in terms of Old Testament things. Well, maybe I've
1: got one uh, question for Drew or Jeff or whoever. Um, Back in Matthew 11, where we see this uh, question that John sends his disciples to ask whether uh, Jesus is the coming one or not, um, what, and, and maybe I'm asking for something that isn't clear in the text. And if I, if I am, forgive me. Um, But what would you see Elijah's state being there? Like, why is he sending, after all of the, the powerful things that he's done, it almost looks like he's questioning or
0: doubting what's uh, what's going on. You mean John the Baptist state of mind? Yes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's, that's a really good question. And, and, I can probably speculate about as as well as you can speculate, but but it, it, mine would just be speculation. So if you've got a, a thought that is actually wise, offer it. <laughs> well,
1: here's here's my theory on it, and I could certainly be proven uh, wrong. Uh, with all of the parallels that we've seen already that you've got on your chart there, uh, I think are spot on. By the way, um, there's another. There is perhaps another parallel after all of the great victories of Elijah, and the threat by Herodias, Elijah goes into this sort of depression, and wondering, what's this about? I'm losing, you know, this, this whole thing is, is lost, and that timing would fit here as well. John's in prison, it looks like Herodias has won, kind of like it might have looked like Jezebel had won, and so the 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 parallel depressions of these great men.
0: I don't know why I had never thought of that, but that makes so much sense. Let's go back and look at, uh, so here's, here's Elijah in First Kings, the 19th chapter, when he has stood up to Ahab and Jezebel, and now Jezebel is trying to kill him, just as Herodias is, is seeking to kill John, and he's already in prison. And uh, here's what it says in uh, chapter 19 and verse 4. He, meaning Elijah, uh, well, verse 3. He, meaning Elijah, was afraid and rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, it's enough. Now, O Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree. And, um, and the, 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 the angel of the Lord comes to him. But then in verse 10, he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord. The God of Hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, torn down thine altars, killed thy prophets with sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he'll repeat that a little bit later on. Uh, and you do see this almost this almost despair, and God has to reassure him. And then yeah. you see John the Baptist. You know, seemingly a, a moment of doubt. And Jesus has to reassure him.
1: And and to me, it's kind of neat that in both cases, um, the Lord doesn't rebuke either one of them. The Lord comforts them, Um, which which maybe is just a a good uh, um, message for how we ought to treat people. You know, uh, we need to look carefully at their situation um, and, and find out really what's going on. Um, and, you know, sometimes we might be inclined to, to, you know, really call somebody on the carpet for something, uh, you know, what do you mean you're doubting the Lord and, and this, that, and the other, and maybe it's that they've really gone through something pretty heavy and uh, are overwhelmed, and they need to come yeah. like what the Lord gives.
0: Yeah, when somebody needs their faith built up, the, the response should not be ridicule. It should be build up their faith. Yeah, and, and the yeah Lord, I like
1: how you that. Good.
0: Yeah.
2: Joe, okay. can I, add, can I want to add something to Joe what you're saying here? Because verse 6 of Matthew says, and blessed is he who does not take offense at me. And that always... I always ask, what does that mean? And that word offense, if I'm not mistaken, Jeff, does that mean like off-ended sets me off?
0: I don't know. Let me take a look real quickly here.
2: Well, while you're looking, the reason I say that is because his apostles were with him for three and a half years and they flee and run when he was crucified. They were offended because then they started doubting at that time. So I'm wondering if that is looking forward to anyone else who might be offended or have doubts. uh, Because I didn't think of that until you brought this up, that John is having, or probably looks like having doubts and he needs reassurance.
0: Yeah, in Matthew 11, 6, blessed is he he whoever uh, is not scandalized in me or we might say caused to stumble
2: and that, that's a the stumbling. Because the, the apostles, when they saw him being arrested, mm-hmm. they stumbled.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. They needed reassurance and they didn't get it after the resurrection. Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. Joe, thank you. I didn't. Well, I, more, more of a question, but uh, it, it's also interesting, and, and maybe you touched on this already, and I, I missed it. Uh, in Matthew 11, uh, Jesus goes on and makes another comparison, right? to uh, um, he, he talks about Sidon and uh, that if the things have been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So you have that Sidonian that connection made again um, uh, there. Uh, may, maybe that's nothing, but uh, again, if, if at, at the very least, it helps remind me of how these situations are connected.
0: Uh, are you, and maybe I'm missing your connection, but are you thinking because Jezebel was the daughter of, uh the king of Sidon.
1: Right. And and Elijah was sent to the Sidonians when he went to the widow's house. Uh-huh. Uh
0: huh. the widow of Zarephath.
1: Yeah, he was uh he was actually in order for him to go into hiding, he went into Queen Jezebel's uh backyard. Yeah. Uh, the, the the irony of her trying to kill him, and here he is camping out in uh, her dad's property. What you got, Drew? What, well, I don't
2: know if it was you, or Joe said that the Lord did not rebuke uh, John the Baptist, but he it goes even further. In the next section, verse 11, he says about John, right after that questioning, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Got a yeah. comment here in, uh, from a viewer. In both cases of discouragement, too, it was still to the Lord that they turned, for well, their answers help and reassurance, so they great still reason. both trusted God, even if doubting particulars about what was going on, which is a great example, when we have times of discouragement and questions, that's a great point, so oftentimes, when people have hardships in their life, and they get discouraged, instead of turning to the Lord, they turn away from the Lord, we'll reach out to them, and say, you know, we we haven't seen you in the assembly lately, what's going on, and say, well, I'm, I just, I've got I'm weighed down with so many cares. I'm struggling. I'm, I'm having uh, doubts or concerns or whatever they may say, but instead of turning to the Lord and seeking to be strengthened, they turn away. Um, it's very so very good need, observation. We need to follow that example of, of Elijah and John. All right. Well, why, why is it that we, what's going on here when we have, um, in Malachi, and why did Malachi just say, But behold, before the great and terrible day of the Lord, I will send John the Baptist? Why say Elijah? And uh-huh. are there other times in the Old Testament where it talks about someone coming in New Testament times and it uses an Old Testament character to represent that, that one? Or somebody? Oh,
1: yeah, definitely. David is, uh-huh.
0: yeah. In Ezekiel 37 is always a passage that comes to my mind, but there's more than one occasion of this. So in Ezekiel 37, David did die and had been dead for 400 years. And um, though he had been dead for 400 years, God could speak through the prophet Ezekiel and say, Ezekiel 37, verse 24, my servant David will be king over them. And, of course, what he's doing is he's using David to represent the son of David, the coming Messiah, the coming Christ. Why do this? Why do this? Why not just say, Jesus, my servant, will be king over them? Or the son of Joseph and Mary? Or just the son of Mary? Why didn't he say, the son of Mary will be king over them? Good question, Jeff. Why? I just hope Joe, you had such a great answer for the other question. I thought maybe here's, here's my thought. There are probably several things going on here. One, if he says Jesus, the son of Mary, that's going to mean nothing to these people. But when he says, David, that calls to mind the King who, to whom God spoke and said, your throne will be established forever. Um, it, it calls to mind the promises of a coming King. And it's, it, Not only for them, David means something to them. David's a great king. How many kings were described as either good or bad by comparing them to David? They did or did not walk in the ways of David. A lot of them, yeah. So here's David, and that means something. And to the discerning Jew who hears that, he's going to say, okay, so this one who's coming is going to be in some respects like David, but also for us. It, it calls our attention to the fact that David does foreshadow the Christ. And in so many ways we can look at his life. We can look at the Psalms. We can look at Psalm 41 in verse 9 when David said, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, lifted up his heel against me. And we can see David referring to events in his own life in that. But we can also see that it makes sense when in Jesus' life, we see somebody who ate his bread, Judas, betraying Jesus. And we can look at Psalm 22, and we can see David saying, they cast lots for my garments, or uh, they pierced my hands and my feet. And we can see David talking about events in his own life, but we can also understand that that's actually talking about the one whom David foreshadows, the Christ. And so it's helpful to us in those ways. But so often in the Old Testament, even we mentioned the land in Zechariah 13, to the Old Testament Jew, what did the words the land mean? The promised land, the, the, the land of Canaan. Right. There was a physical land of Canaan that had been promised by God to them as a promised rest, a habitation prepared for them by God. Now, you can take from that, if there's a future land that's associated with the Messiah, it doesn't have to be that same physical plot of land But that idea, a promised habitation for the people of God. Uh, You can think of the house of God and, and so many other things that we see in the Old Testament. This is one of the things that dispensational premillennialists don't get. They see something in the Old Testament, a prophecy about a coming New Testament thing that is couched in the language of characters of the Old Testament or physical things of the Old Testament, and they don't see that what is happening here is the Old Testament character or thing is being used to foreshadow something coming, but it is the spiritual connection that is being emphasized, not the physical identity. Uh, Interesting,
2: because uh, Jesus himself said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world, telling us that it is spiritual, right? Yeah. So from the the millennialist point of view then, they're going to they have to come and say, well, yeah, it's spiritual, but then it's going to go back to being physical.
0: That's what the, the premillennialists believe. We're going to get a physical kingdom set up on earth with a physical temple and all of that again. Guys, we're out of time. Thanks for the discussion and thanks for the participation and uh, those of you who've been watching very much. Hope to see you next week again. Amen.